0: Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. One thing about when you're managing uh, multi-location operations, whether you're in restaurants or they're medical, banking, legal, you know, chiropractic, gyms, it doesn't matter. Um, is that very often when you're delivering services at the location level, um, that there isn't just one lever you can pull to increase sales, right? Uh, To make customers happier, to uh, increase profitability. Oftentimes, it's not one lever, it's 30,000 little levers that all have to be pulled. Now, none of them are going to sink you. But if enough of those levers aren't pulled correctly, your customers will have a bad experience with your business, your customer satisfaction will be down, and your sales and profits will follow. And that's what we do at Ops Analytica. We help you manage pulling all 30,000 little levers right in the right order. And uh, and then at the same time, we're providing you with data, amazing visibility into uh, what levers aren't getting pulled, where you have issues, so you can figure out what the heck's going on and fix them. And then you move on. And then every time you correct an issue, you make your employees happier, you make it, your their jobs easier, you make your customers happier, and your sales and profits will follow. Check us out at OpsAnalytica.com. Hey there, Order Up Show podcast listeners. It's Tommy Y here with another episode for you. I am super excited to welcome Paul J. Baldessaro. How are you doing there, Paul?
1: I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Thank you, Tommy, for uh,
0: inviting me. Oh, you're very welcome, sir. So, the order up pod, uh, the order up podcast. I keep saying pod show. I don't know why. I've done it like two two episodes in a row here. Uh, <laughs> the order up podcast is uh, it's a hard hitting journalistic like nightmare for the guests. Nah, it's not. It is so easy. So we just go through the same five questions. Everybody have a nice conversation, and uh, I'm dying to know more about you, Paul. So let's go to question number one. What do you do today? And then take us through your career progression from your first job in the industry. Uh,
1: well, absolutely. I appreciate it. I, thanks again for, for, uh, having me this morning and you made me nervous there for a second. Cause I thought I was going to have to take a test and I hadn't <laughs> studied. So I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling better. You let me off the hook. Yeah. Yeah. So currently, um, I am the uh, president and CEO of a small company called the Hickory Tavern and, uh, we're, uh, kind of an upscale sports bar. We call ourselves really a social gathering place. You know, we, we do have an affinity for sports, but, um, you know, we, um, you know, we're very local, locally driven. Um, and, uh, we've got 25 locations, uh, four different States, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Alabama, and, uh, originated from a small town in hickory north carolina hence the name and so i've been with the organization now for four years and uh we've had a we have a great time with a little growth and um you know kind of kind of uh like everybody i think uh weathering the storm of COVID, and um excited to sort of start seeing some things come back to uh to normalcy
0: absolutely and then where did you get started in the biz
1: Ooh, yeah this one's a crazy one. I I always tell everybody that I I actually started in the restaurant business about at four years old, and people kind of look at me crazy when I say that. My my grandfather owned a uh, a restaurant. Um, you know, uh, first generation Italian. Um, uh, we owned a small. He owned a small restaurant in a very very small town in southern New Hampshire. Still, uh, still no to give you an idea. Still no stoplights in the town. So very small town, and so my parents were both working. Um, my dad had come out of, uh, the Vietnam war. My mom was a hairdresser and both worked a lot. And, uh, me and my brother were at the restaurant lots of times as sort of, I guess you'd call it a daycare center. Um, sure. and so got into the business that way, um, I guess indirectly, but my first job was actually in the pizza business. And so I started typically like a lot of people doing the pizza business back with the prep and got to do the hundred pounds of sliced onions and, and crying your eyes out and doing all the, the dirty work and uh, finally got to move out front and make pizzas and interact with people. And that's sort of how um, the business started for me, you know, sort of really just sort of in that type of environment and uh, caught an interest in it. And uh, back in the day, went to, uh, you know, vocational high school that was uh, had some attributes around uh, the culinary business and followed that love into culinary school and from culinary school into, you know, more of a full-time bachelor's decided one bachelor's wasn't enough and went for another bachelor's and then got out into the industry. So, and I've had a, nice. you know, had a fun ride over the last, uh, I'd hate to say it because 25, 30 years, I guess.
0: And now Isn't it insane? Like I figured yeah. out that I started in this thing 33 years ago and I'm like, good right. God. Yeah, you look, you look at yeah, yourself yeah. in the mirror and you go, man, my beard's gray, but like you don't <laughs> Right. Right. Exactly. Like, it's so yeah, silly. Yeah, so did you yeah. stay in chain restaurants primarily or were you a little bit of both? Like, so, yeah.
1: So I've had down a, down a really, mi- yeah. So I've had a kind of a mixed use. So I, the, the, the pizza place I worked one was a first generation uh, Greek gentleman still owns it today oh, today. So nice. especially son and daughter run it today. It's interesting. And so I, occasionally get back to the area and it's kind of nice to see. It's kind of fun because, you know, they were little tykes when uh, now they're, you know, they got their own kids and going up and doing their thing. Sure. But yeah, no, I've been, I've, I've bounced between, pri- I've spent a lot of time with private entrepreneurs. I have, I do have some experience, you know, I did work with a, um, a, a organization called for years called Chuck Muir. Uh, they were based out of Detroit, very entrepreneurial, uh, chef driven type uh, company, um, that uh, was based in the Michigan area, but had a lot of presence in South Florida. Um, I worked for a restaurant group for several years called Stouffer Restaurant Group. Not your not your frozen Stouffer mac and cheese, but you know they had a, a many different concepts back in the day, fun concepts. And uh, I spent about ten years as vice president in the public sector of Landry's, and we were. Um, out of Houston. And when I came on board, they were just sort of introducing an idea of sort of this entertainment. And so um, I had some incredible years there of fun, of um, helping to create um, a concept called the aquarium. And then, so it was sort of what we coined as the underwater dining adventure. And at that point in time, um, you know, was, was, you know, it was Rainforest Cafe was sort of the the thing and we sort of went in that same direction but with an elevated culinary experience and um had a lot of success and opened uh, some places all over even uh one sort of out in your neck of the woods in denver out at the aquarium, yeah, the out there aquarium and, right yeah yep, yeah yeah I, I did that project um that was a it, that was a fun project uh worst 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 sunburn i ever got in my life was there opening that store being outside in that property didn't really re- recognize how uh, how much of a burn you can get in uh in april uh sunburn out there so but uh yeah I spent t- 10 years there with them um and um uh, enjoyed uh, my time with them but um was based in houston and you know started to have a family and we wanted to move sort of back out um east my parents had uh, retired in florida and uh sure. my wife's parents had retired in uh north georgia mountains and so um ended up um with a company uh, called the Buckhead life restaurant group, uh, very chef driven out of Atlanta, you know, James Beard foundation chefs. So that was type sure. environment. And, um, so it was fun. It was, you know, going from kind of a public sector into this very creative, um, entrepreneurial, you know, 14 different concepts are all different, um, type environment. So, um, enjoyed the heck out of that for, uh, six years. And, uh, again, family business. So, um, eventually in any family business, sort of the student becomes the master. Um, and so, sure. um, the, the, the two sons had really come along under, um, um, you know, um, their development and started to take on to the reins of the company and was excited for them. And, and I was ready for a new opportunity and, um, got an opportunity to get onto the franchising side of the world. And so I spent, um, several years at, a. um, company called homegrown industries of Georgia and they were the franchise order of concept called mellow mushroom. And so oh, yeah. at the point in time, yeah, yeah. And so we heavily franchised. And so we went into, um, I went in when there was probably 120 stores, um, you know, good bones to the company, a lot of, um, good movement. And, uh, you know, we were open about 20 stores, uh, a year for about three years. Um, really enjoyed my time there. Um, love the franchising side of the world just because of, uh, the ability to help people, you know, for, you know, and their goals and help people grow. And, um, it was just a really, um, enjoyable, uh, job, very heavily franchised, not a big corporate structure internally, as far as corporate stores, um, and, uh, received a, um, a a call from a very close colleague of of mine that's in the industry about an opportunity, um, to sort of, um, um, work with a, um, private equity company, um, that, uh, was growing a concept where I am now it's called the Hickory Tavern, and, uh, uh, moved out to Charlotte, North Carolina, which is a beautiful city. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just gorgeous. Um, and if you like breweries there's like 32 in the inside the you know the uh Charlotte DMA so uh we, we like our uh craft beer here um and so um yeah had a great you know great opportunity it's been a a great 4 years I'm excited for the next 4 years and uh we just it's just been a fun environment working with a very entrepreneurial uh founder and uh, a private equity company that um probably not many people say they love right um and so <laughs> Um, it's just been a really, um, great experience and again, um, am president CEO and, um, love the, uh, love the ability for us to, to, um, you know, just, to, to see people progress and see our, our team members and our guests happy and, uh, you know, just continue to grow. So it's, this has been, it's just been a fun, it's, it's an industry that, um, I think as much as there can be a lot of frustration in our industry, there's a lot of things to make you smile about it. So, um, and that's where I'm at today. Yep. Yeah. 30 nuts. years, just like that. <laughs> 30 I know years that like is that. nuts,
0: right? Crazy. Yep. So yep. the heck I was looking up where Hickory, North Carolina was, cause my dad's from Wilson, but it's over in Gutaba uh-huh. County. And my cousin yep. went to Gutaba mm-hmm. college. Okay. So, yeah, I remember like a lot of time in the '80s because I grew up in Maryland. Was um, yep. going down to Guitarba to watch my cousin do stuff like at the school, like plays and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so hickory's time the then. little
1: known, yeah, little um, known about Hickory. That is like that used to be the like the capital of just you know wood furniture, you know, in the in the southeast. I mean the, the, you know, the, the factories and the development there, um, were incredible. And, uh, um, that's where you got all your craft, you know, on the East coast where you got your craft wood furniture out of that, that little town. So.
0: Yeah. It's uh what's <clears> it called? Um, like the Thomasville, right? Thomasville yeah. or whatever they call yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. North Carolina hit the furniture. Yeah. yeah. I totally remember
1: that. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So,
0: did you go to CIA or Johnson and Wales for your degree?
1: I did. So I went to. Um, I was looking at at uh, CIA at the time I was going. They had a two year culinary program. Yeah. Um, obviously, the program has it's been advanced since the the, the mid eighties, early early nineties. But and so I chose to go to Johnson and Wales University. Uh, college yeah. at the time, now it's university. And so started out in culinary school, did a, a couple of years of culinary school. Uh, one of the, um, uh, instructing chefs, um, suggested I applied for a teaching assistant program. I didn't know much about it applied and lo and behold, got, um, got, uh, picked as one of the teaching assistants. And so that came along with a, uh, uh, full paid ride for my bachelor's degree, and uh and so started on a bachelor's in food service management and part way through i happened to just being one of the um uh one of the offices where i was um you know kind of changing some classes doing some things and i saw this marketing program and i asked and i said you know that's something i can take as well and before i knew it i'd walked out i was a double major and so double major with teaching um with a teaching assistant responsibility so it was um it was a little bit of a workload. got my first one, um, on time, my first bachelor's on time and then, you know, kind of worked through the rest of it over the next year, summer, et cetera, and finished up with my, uh, my marketing degree. But I had a a very good time in, in Providence was always a very interesting city. Um, very eclectic, very, you know, a lot of chefs would continue to come out of culinary school and stay there. So very food driven city. And I just, um, I had an affinity for the uniqueness that is Providence, for sure.
0: Oh yeah, that's a beautiful town. So yeah, I went to military college for two years, like Valley Forge military. Mm-hmm. My plan was to go join the army and get in this early commissioning program. And then I got mono, like literally like in June of when I was right. about to ship out. And they are like, well, you can't come to the army because you, your spleen's all enlarged, you got mono, and if you were to hurt yourself, <laughs> right you know you would uh sure. we're not going to be able to help you so then i was like oh hell what am i going to do now so i went two years so i said well i mean it's june i didn't apply to anywhere else it like, was like late to the game on that deal so i just went to valley forge best decision in my life you know i worked in the kitchens there which is kind of cool and like i learned from this great pastry chef and i was really interested in restaurants um both my grandfathers had in restaurants and um and uh and then I ended up at University of Denver, but I really at one point was like kind of like I don't want to be at University of Denver anymore. I want to go to Johnson & Wells or CIA and get my chef degree. And it was really my mom who was like, "Dude, we well, had put too much money into this college thing. You can't go switching again. You got to get this yeah. bachelor's degree and then and then you know, then you get out into the industry and then you're like, well, I don't want to go back to school. I like having money." So, uh, yeah. you know, it just it, it, you know, there's like there's sort of phases in your life where you can pull off something like getting that second degree. And it makes a lot of sense because yep. you're already yep. there. You kind of settled down, cool. got a place. Yeah. But then as soon as you start moving, like you're a shark, well, sharks don't stop yeah. and then you become, that's skills, right. You know? so. Well,
1: you, to your point, to your point, I started partway through my, I, I, I interviewed after my second degree, I didn't, for whatever reason, and this is, this will date me, of course. But for whatever reason, that particular time in 1990, I wanted to work for Gilbert Robinson. For whatever reason, I didn't get the, I got the interview, didn't get the job. And so I went through this pouting process, I'm sure, whatever, in disappointment. So I started my master's degree uh, at J&W and landed a job with Stouffer Restaurant in Providence, continued to do it. And they shut that particular store down and they moved me to Stanford, Connecticut. And of course, so I wasn't able at that time. There's no, uh, you know, yeah, you know, uh, online program at that point in time. There's nothing. I said, well, I'll just go back and finish it. Well, 30 years later, to your point, it's an unfinished, it's an unfinished deal. It just, life gets in the way, right? Sometimes.
0: <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Well, in this industry, once you start working, it's really hard to fit in schooling at the same time. You almost yeah, have to just yeah, put absolutely. it on pause. Yep. But, or, yep. or flip yep. down. Like, you know, if you've been a great restaurant manager or a great chef, one of the things that you can do is you could go to school and be a cook, you know, or be a waiter. And so those are the kind of cool things you can do with this industry because, uh, you know, the skills are so transferable. You know, I did stand-up comedy for 10 years, like 95 to 05. And during that period, I was a cook. I was a waiter at like nice restaurants, at crazy restaurants. I was a trainer. I was a manager. I was a, a news store opener. You know what I mean? Like I was- Well, what
1: better, uh, what, what better is a place to find a lot of good script, right? Than the restaurant I, business for your, for your gig. <laughs>
0: absolutely. Well, the best part was like 99 was my busiest years of stand up, right? So I did seven and a half months on the road. Uh, and, and, and so, yeah, seven and a half months on the road. I was based out of Chicago at the time. I was waiting tables at Dick's Last Resort. Uh, on the North Pier, which it's now moved in mm-hmm. in land yep. a little, but, uh, and that would you can make such good money there. Like you can make even in 99, like I could make 150 to two, I could walk with 150 to $200 in tips, you know, which was yep. like great money. And, um, and so I would go out on the road for like three to like, let's say six, seven weeks at a time. And then I would come back and work doubles for like a month and a half. And I would just pack in as much cash as I could, and then I'd go back out for a couple, like a month or two. You know, yep. just drive all over yeah. the country. And uh, let me—I don't want to brag that I don't want to brag, uh, Paul. But that year I drove forty-five thousand miles. I worked for seven wow. and a half months as an, a stand-up comedy opener, so that's the lowest guy on the totem pole. And I right. made seventy-five hundred bucks. So you wow. know, yeah. It is pretty crazy. My parents had let me have yeah. their Amico card. And so I was able to like, I knew every go. truck stop West of the Mississippi. I knew which ones I could <laughs> burritos, I could coffee. Yeah. So like, I kind of just lived in Amico. This was ridiculous. Um, yeah. so, so do you consider yourself a chef or a, a front of the house guy? I guess. Is the well, you know, it's funny.
1: I, 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 I love, I grew up in a family that, um, and I sort of carried on this tradition. Um, uh, you know, my fondest memories—you uh, probably can already tell—is of, of my grandfather. So we had a tradition in my mind that was, you know, around food um, and food and family. And so Sundays, um, as I remember as a young kid, were sort of an important part of um, the makeup. So I do love to cook. Um, I do love to cook. I I, I really consider myself. Um, solid in both. I have passion for both. I love love to cook and I I enjoy it. I wouldn't consider myself necessarily a chef, um, especially in today's, you know, I mean, they're just, you know, some of these guys and gals are incredible. And so I would be doing a disservice to call myself a chef. I love to cook, uh, but I know my boundaries, but I also consider myself the front because there's nothing better than creating something and putting something in front of them them looking at it, tasting it, and that action that they feel, that that immediate gratification that you get from being in our business that, that you know either did a great job or you didn't do a good job one way or the other, That, but that piece of it. So um, I like both, you know, and, and that's sort of how I ma- how I manage the business anyways. I'm, I'm sort of – I always say I'm, I like to stay very close to the chicken bone, being in the – obviously, yeah. the Hickory and we sell wings. Um, and huh. so, um, you know, we sell wings, so – I like to be close to the people and um, I, you know, I have a tendency to, to really vacillate between both sides and cause I enjoy both.
0: Yeah. You know, and, and what I will say is for those of us that did cook at some point in their lives, like professionally, like mm-hmm. it's like this, the amount of cool stuff that you can get in your home that it will allow oh, you yeah. to cook like a chef, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you can kind of scratch that itch every now and then, you know what I mean? And then- uh, Yep, absolutely. And then, uh, cause, you know, I, I think I would probably die if I had to like go back and like work a line. Like, first of all, I got yep. slow because I was, yep. like, relatively fast. I was never fast, fast. Like, I'm not going to, like, sit here and
1: lie to sure. everybody. It, it, it's, very much, I, it's very much like athletics, right? I mean, you know, yeah. your, I, you know I am coordinated in sports. I mean, I, I find myself yeah. sort of sometimes getting back in the urge to get back there and just show these young bucks some things, and then, and, 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 yeah. you know, I'm quickly <laughs> pushed off to the side. But it's <laughs> sort of like sports. It's like there's it's – a, it's a rhythmic – It's a muscle dance of sorts and and you know and and keeping your mind straight and moving you know with pace and moving with efficiency absolutely yes yeah, it's, it's uh it's interesting i always say what what i do think i do think i do love about our industry and especially when you're in the culinary side and maybe a little bit higher end is you do you do eat like a king right we do eat like a king oh, yeah. we may we may work like jokers you know we may work like a yeah. joker but
0: we eat like a king and so uh, um yeah food food's a big part for sure well, I just think about like the the best cooks I've ever seen. So I worked with a great chef named Keith Jones. He's been on the podcast. I think he's the mm-hmm. corporate chef for Honey Smoked Salmon right now. Uh, great guy. Okay. Great teacher out of Detroit. Uh, just the best. Oh, yeah. But I went to work with him at a formal. It was a it was actually a fine dining club owned by Club Corp of America called the, uh, oh my gosh, it just slipped my head, the Oxford Club here in Denver in Englewood. And everything, that was a white glove Russian table deal, right? So like the waiters circle the table, they all stop at the position, they pull the the cover off, they set the plate down simultaneously, that level. Well, when I went to work there, it was all about precision and that kind of fed into my OCD parts of my brain. And so then I tried Mm -hmm. to go back and like work a lunch rush at like a fast, quick serve, and I just, I could not pump the volume out because I'm like putting the fries around and They're like, move! They're like yelling at me. <laughs> they quickly put me on a computer at that place. But I will tell you, that the, yeah. the best cooks I've ever seen are those P.F. Chang's wok cooks. Those woks yeah. weigh 25 pounds and they are flipping yep. them. They're doing two at a time. Yep. Holy hell. Yep. I tried to flip. I tried to use my left hand on my like little home wok that I got the other day. And I, my arm like was sore. My shoulder was sore. You cramped (laughs) up. Yeah. yeah, I like, I wanted to sit on the couch and cry. I'm like, yeah, we just order PFJs. Stupid. So yeah, I, those guys, man, you know, if you've never worked a busy, busy restaurant on the line, you do not know what it is because it is a thing, (laughs) you know? Yep. Uh, Absolutely. Yep. So let's move on to the next question. What's the big project or initiative that you're working on right now?
1: Yeah, I think for us, um, let, let me just first say, you know, for me to get to this point, um, a little bit was a process, but I I really believe in that regardless of all levels. Again, I've been from, had properties that had fast casual environments to fine dining to casual like I am now to even quick service. I've always thought it's about the people, right? It's about the connecting people. It's about the product you serve, but it's about connecting people. And, and so I've always been very um, focused on that and very passionate about it. And so, you know, for me over time, I've recognized sort of technology and intertwining technology into what I would consider like a full service environment, which we're in now, even it's casual, but it's still full service and how we can do that and still keep people connected to the consumer and sort of how we can be more efficient without losing what I believe people come to full service for, which is, is that service experience. You can get a hamburger in a box to go, but you can't get a feeling of hypothetically a a sporting event here at one of our stores where people clapping, cheering and everybody, Razzing each other about the game, you know, like in March Madness in a to go box, right? And so, you know, I've always focused on, on that piece of it, but I do think technology is probably our biggest focus right now and how we can do that to help our, um, our operation be more efficient, how we can help our consumer, consumer get the experience that they want and still not lose that person to person relationship. And so that goes through whether it's, you know, simple things that order at the table, pay at the table, it, um, it's technology on how um, they can reach us via, um, you know, curbside pickup or, you know, to go and all those type of things, just things to make it easier um, uh, in access and then flow. You know, are really the focuses.
0: You know, and that's interesting that you say that because, what it comes down to um, is, you know, that sports bar segment's been struggling. I mean, the big chains have been struggling. Applebee's has been struggling. You know, uh, Chili's, those guys. Uh, and, and I don't know if you would consider yourselves in that world, but that sort of casual dining experience mm-hmm. has been struggling. And and but you're but you touched on something that I really want to like sort of drill in on. There is something amazing about watching a game at a bar. That's I don't care how big your TV is. I don't care if Mm -hmm. you can make great wings yourself, right? There's something about just the, uh, all the choices and the excitement. I mean, when, when, you know, that basket gets hit during March madness or that foot that touchdown is made everybody screams and like, you know, that that's what you're paying for, right? It's not the wings. You can get wings anywhere. You can go buy Tyson wings, though in your air fryer. It's, you know what I mean? Sure. Like it's that camaraderie. And that's where, you know, Applebee's and Chili's have really not focused. They've always been, I mean, they're just trying to get bodies in the door. So they've been really focusing on bogos yep. and just cheap, cheap, cheap. But really, how do you communicate that? This is what this is about, right?
1: That this yep. is not hanging out yep. in
0: a big room full of people. And also, obviously COVID has put like a big yep. damper on that whole thing, you know, because of that. But it's come we're coming out of that period, right? So we don't have to. Yep. Hopefully, we're coming out of that period. Um, so yeah, how are you guys so, doing that? How yep. are you communicating? Well
1: so with so culturally, when we came up with our, our sort of our cultural document document, yeah, you know, before we started to grow, we obviously, you know, we were we were all within a very small area and so our leadership was able to touch our stores and sort of culture develop a culture indirectly but as we continue to grow outside our walls we, we we wanted to really define the culture what 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 made hickory tavern diff, different and we coin we i've said this a couple times this morning but we've coined it as a social gathering place What like it's it's a place where you know for lack of better terms it's 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 your place. And so we love the aspect when people talk to us about our brand, they'll say, Oh, our Wesley Chapel location, that's my hickory tavern. Or the you know, the Ballantine location, that's my hickory tavern. And what that tells me is we're creating this, this connection with them in a in the, the building. Not they not about the food. It's about the people the memories that we're trying to you know, help deliver. And so we put a lot of focus and energy on that. And, and we, and we, that's how we sort of coach our, our people. We are, our, our competition is very interesting. Yes. We're in the casual dining sector and Monday at two o'clock for lunch, we compete with Applebee's chilies and every, any other full service casual dining on Friday night, March madness, or yeah, it was Friday night this year. Kicked off March, March Madness, we're not competing with Chili's and Applebee's. We're still competing with BW3s and the local, you know, sort of sports chains and things of that nature. So we morph a little bit. It's interesting. We, sure. we morph. And, and we have, you know, in each of our locations, this big, huge, we call it the surfboard in our bar. Like, twenty. you know, it's 25 seats to just sit sort of a long stretch, and it's shaped like a, like a long surfboard. Yeah. That thing is constantly busy because we've created this environment where it's like it's okay to sit beside somebody you know you know obviously social distancing and things of that nature yeah. and being safe but all things considered it's the environment where people come in into interact with other people and i always say this is that the bad service bad environment a cheeseburger can't save bad service and bad environment great service and great environment does make that cheeseburger taste better. And we just, that's a philosophy we, we take. I mean, yes, we use high product level products. Um, yes, we put a lot of effort in our our operation, but we still serve some of the basics. You know, we still serve cedar smoked salmon, not too complicated. We, we serve burgers, you know, we serve wings, we serve uh, steak and fritz, um, you know, we do do some, some things that may be outside of normal casual dining. But at the end of the day, it's the environment; it's how you feel, and how people you know that that you interact with as a consumer um, um, make you feel through that process. And and so for me, that's where we're our point of difference is. That's what we hire to. That's what we aspire to every day. That's what we sort of coach, teach, and develop. And uh, that's what we evaluate on. And I, you know, I can't speak for. You know the the philosophies of a of a um, a big chain like uh, Chili's. I mean, obviously, I think you know each company has their own sort of set of thoughts of what their their goals are. But I can just say for us, social gathering is critical for us. We we just believe that's a that's a, what we call point of difference.
0: Well, and, you know, yeah, and, and I mean, I don't want to pick on chilies and, and um, Applebee's. I mean, I know that Applebee's no, no. has been working their booties off to try to solve this problem. And they just basically taste and stuff changed and morphed quicker than they were ready to kind of keep up with it. And, you know, there's a reality, too, which is, you know. We built these kind of buildings, and it, oh, well, let's be honest. Our franchisees built these kind of buildings, and that's what we have, right? So, I can't turn a suburban, you know, rural on the corner of a strip center location into the hippest place in town. Like, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. You know what I mean? There are like physical sure. realities of the world, whatever. So, um, but yeah, I, I think they're doing the you know the best they can. But I, I, I just I love. You know, what's interesting. And I've I've mentioned this a couple of times. I've been doing a ton of these podcasts lately, which is great. I'm loving them, but uh, I'm really starting to fall back in love with the restaurant business Uh, because the restaurant business is like that kind of like, it's like that. uh, It's like, it's a love hate relationship because it's hard, right? Anything that's hard, you, you love it, but you hate it too sometimes. And you don't really love it. Like I went to plebe system in military school. I didn't love plebe system mm-hmm. at the time. I look back mm-hmm. now fondly on it, that it's 30 years in the past because I don't have to deal with it anymore, but there were some good times in the middle and that's how the restaurant business is too. And, uh, but it, this podcast is like re-energizing my love for the restaurant industry. And I'm, that's why I'm so like sort of targeting in on this camaraderie thing because, and the gathering, and maybe it's cause we're coming out of COVID now and you can kind of open your mind back up to hey i just want to be on a patio with a bunch of people drinking some beers watching something yeah. listening well, to something doing something feel the energy you know
1: yeah you, i think a lot of people you know yeah. yeah i think a lot of people there were a lot of people out there that you talked to probably at some point in time said look it, the industry's changed forever it'll never go back you know it's all going to be transactional now people can get access they Anywhere they want they don't need to be in the in the restaurant they don't need all this stuff they've learned to sort of um, get through this process in a very so uh, so uh, silo based type situation I do think there's some legitimacy to that piece of it, but i don't think that that paints that paints a very broad brush and i, I don't believe in that I, I do believe in the good of people and I do believe in people uh, being social and and loving to be around and sharing moments with other people. I mean, it's just, it's human nature, right? And it's our job to create those things. Like we can, we can be the dullest, um, most inept, you know, just, you know, un um, hospitable individuals. And that, that just takes everything away from what we're trying to create. Or you can come in, we can open the door for you. We can welcome you in. We can get you sat. We can, you know, make sure that you've got your drink. We can come by and chat and actually have interest that you have kids. And hey, let's, you know, can I get the kids food? I mean, simple things get the kids food out for you yeah. on time. And can I do whatever? I mean, and just create this whole, we're thankful you're here. Uh, it, there's yeah. this, there's our industry, the successful people in our industry have what I call a servient attitude. They like to serve people. And they like to see people happy. And that's sometimes hard with all the things that go around in our world. And what I try to get my team to focus in on is when you walk in this business, the only thing that matters is how you treat one another and how you treat our guests. That's it. And, And you have to drop everything else and you have to put your passion behind that because that's what's going to make you successful. That's what makes the company successful. And that's what, you know, just matters to our our, our guests. And, and that's sometimes hard. Life gets in the way, for sure. No doubt about it.
0: Uh, yeah, and I would tag on, I think you kind of summed it up perfectly in the respect of, yes, what's gonna change is you've gotta have curbside. You've gotta have an app. You've oh, gotta absolutely. have delivery. You got to have Absolutely. all the technology stuff and you got to look at, where can I make my ex You have to look at your entire experience. Like when we started COVID back in March, right? Like everything slowed down. All of our customers mm-hmm. obviously were ju- like, we're going just to carry out only. And I sat down and I wrote these risk assessments where I was like, Hey, this is a potential cause we didn't know like everybody at the time thought this is going to be like Corona, uh, coronavirus is gonna be a lot like norovirus in that it was gonna be highly touch transmittable. So, you know, cause then they realized maybe two months later, three months later, yeah, it's more airborne and it's more coughing and getting it in someone's face, right? But it's not as much touch. Cause remember at the beginning, everyone's like, what the hell, you can't have anything. But like, yep. so I wrote these risk assessments and I was like, these are like, here's like, okay, you have a doorknob, that's a potential touch point. So now what are you gonna have to have? Mm-hmm. Sanitizer right there, whatever it is. And so what you have to do now as we come out of COVID-19 is you have to look at where, look at my operations, sort of like I did in this risk assessment where I I sort of stepped you through every step of a a dining experience, everything you were gonna touch. But now you have to look at it and go, okay, where are the touch points that really add value from a cultural or from an ambiance perspective And what are the ones that people are now just going to expect? Like, nobody wants to wait for you to come get their check, you know? So have that Mm -hmm. taken care of because that's always an annoying thing, right? Like like for me at least, you know? So, okay, we we can still have really personable food runners and servers who have real knowledge about beer and wine and the food. Um, But we can also have a really easy to use app and other stuff so i think it's just gonna re it's just morphing itself into a it's gonna be it's gonna be more culture it's gonna it's yep. gonna be more high touch in the parts that matter and then sort of outsourcing through technology the parts that don't matter right yeah um, and i think yep. that always keep always keep yeah. interesting
1: yeah always keeping in mind people you know it sounds foolish but people are human right they 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 need they they want to be valued. Do you want to be appreciated? They, there's there's a human touch to things, but there's other aspects that are, are are transactional transactional in nature that are that are just of ease. It's about yeah. delivering what, your product in a place at a time that your consumers want it. And and yep. you know, like you said, it could be curbside. It could be to you know third party delivery. It could be hanging out at the the surfboard high-fiving and uh, watching the game. There's all these aspects and, and the successful people will understand that and they will embrace all these differences and they will, you know, they'll grow those sectors individually. And we talk about those sectors individually. We talk, you know, our, our to go program and and, in our curbside and all those things, we evaluate that we track that we measure that individually. Um, versus our in-dining. And and we do that for purposeful because we want to always be able to understand the consumer sitting at that high top um, is comfortable doing so today. The consumer that we just took care of in curbside, that we did everything necessary, we may have gained their confidence to the point that they have eventually become our in-store dining experience. Or maybe not. Maybe that's, that's how they're going to use this. But we're going to embrace it either way.
0: Yep. And let's be honest, too, like we all we're all traveling through life and we all are in different phases of life. And so and this is why it's so important to wow every guest, because I might have a newborn at home or I might have Mm -hmm. like I don't. But like, you know, I might have a newborn at home. So I am your curbside guest. But two years ago or a year ago, I was your at the surfboard guest till two in the morning screaming at the final four. And in mm-hmm. two more years i'm going to be back in the restaurant eating yeah. with my toddlers yeah, so like you don't know where these people are at right and so yep. it's all it's so important to make sure that we're wowing on every aspect and like that's and, right and, yeah so go on
1: sorry. yeah i was just going to say you know I mean, we've been around for getting close to 25 years So we're actually heading into the second generation, which is really, or sometimes in some cases, the third generation, you know, where, you know, families are coming in with their kids and now their kids are a little bit older and they're, they're coming in with their young kids. And, and that's when you knew you're doing something right. That's when you know, you know, for all the other things and all the things that you say to yourself when you're looking at your business, boy, I wish we were better here. Boy, I wish we're better here. Right. You know, uh, those are the things that just, you can sit back and say, Hey, that's, that's a win. That's, that's, that's a win. And so, yeah, Yeah. We're, uh, we're excited. We're, you know, it's a fun business for sure.
0: Oh, yeah. oh uh, that was great. I love that interaction there. Uh, okay. Let's go to the next question. What is the one yep. thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night?
1: Ooh, that's, that's probably the easiest question of them all. Um, I, I, I think, you know, personally at this point in time, it's, it's the quality human capital side of our business and being able, our, our business is so, um, heavily, uh, driven by, um, human capital gearing up and gearing down is always difficult for our businesses. And so attracting, retaining, um, developing, uh, the people as we come back out of this, um, pandemic And, and each state's a little bit different. Each, areas a little bit different um but being able to uh move people into um a stage where we you know many of our restaurants were just doing to go for several months and then we sort of you know some of the stores sidestepped and we went into you know had just patio and then 25 percent capacity and then some stores 50 percent, and then some of them you know have continued to grow from there depending on the state and things of that nature and so our ability to go ahead and attract, retain, and develop those individuals and those right individuals, um, I think is probably the thing that keeps me up most at night because uh, one of the things that um, could deter our goal of the social gathering place and providing that environment is not having enough of the right people delivering it on a day-to-day basis for the need that's out in the marketplace. And I think the successful people will put all their energy behind their people, um, whether it's how you um, attract them, how you retain them, how you reward them, whatever it is. I think that is the one thing that keeps me sort of up at night. You know, um, you know like anything, COVID was a major change for people in my mind and how they, how they um, sort of looked at life. Our industry for those of the folks that maybe you know maybe listen to this podcast and maybe stumble across it and they're not, not in the restaurant business, it's it's a lifestyle. And so there's this yeah. crazy lifestyle that you live in, but then all of a sudden the you know, your job stopped and maybe for two, three, four months, now you're home on Saturday night. Wow. This is what it's like to yeah. eat with the kids or or whatever this is like to take my significant other out to dinner or to go for the couples to go out and have a date night. And then then it's, you know, there's a little bit of, wow, this is, this is quote the real world. And when you're in the business, you have passion for the business. Um, and you just, it's part of your lifestyle. Many, many people just don't, don't even, they don't even think about it twice. It's just who they are. And so, yeah. so our industry, you know, as I talked to people and, and just talked about their challenges and, you know, come on conference calls every Tuesday afternoon with a, a whole bunch of CEOs across the country and the restaurant space, I think that's where all all talk about is how do we continue to build back attract retain and develop these people that's that's the major above all things i would think that would be it don't uh you know commodities whatever those are all just things that you know have their cycle and um yeah you adjust for it it but it's hard to adjust for good people well it's almost impossible
0: and the gig economy You know, the gig economy has changed the world. And I've been I've been proffering this thing out on uh, the podcast as well, that we need to look at how can we better utilize we need to I I think we need to rethink how we staff these restaurants Uh, um, and also the job roles. Like, I think the industry really needs to sit back, take a step back and go, okay, we're still serving like basically. When Jesus walked into a tavern in, you know, Southern Israel, it's the same exact restaurant experience minus, uh, you know, the POS system that we have today. Someone came over asked him what he wanted to eat. You know, they went to the kitchen, the bartender brought him a skin of wine, you know, whatever it is. So it's like, we, we, we really do need to think about how the technology, how the people and how and what are the roles? And I don't know that we need to have the same roles anymore. Right. Um, and and so we got to figure, we got to think that through. And and then how do we utilize the gig economy aspect of things to make us, uh, more flexible. Right. So sure. my whole, yeah, we're definitely,
1: yeah, yeah, I was going to say, we're definitely an industry of opinions. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And there is a little bit of old school, new school sort of mentality yeah. when it comes to these these major changes in in our industry. And to me, I'm I think there's just somewhere in between, right? You you can hold on to the the foundation of what makes our business or strategy um, successful, and yeah. and and still uh, adjust to the needs. Of our consumer and our team member base. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yep. And the smart so people one, those smart people will they'll figure that out.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think one of the interesting so one time uh, I worked at Texas Resort in Denver too. So I worked at two different Disaster Resorts. That one closed. But we were right down, this is probably ninety seven, maybe ish. It was I think it was the ninety seven or no, it was the ninety eight uh, all star game was okay. being held in Denver, Colorado uh, at the Rocky Stadium. Yep. And so we were two blocks from the stadium and it was me and this other guy, Dave, and we were like the most fun waiters, right? Dick's is all about personality and being- Oh yeah, people, right. Like in a fun way, you know? <laughs> and so I remember our manager said, look, you can eat and drink as much as you want. I'll pay you 110 bucks a day. Just entertain the restaurant. That's all you're doing for the next three days. And that was like such a great, like, that's kind of like a metaphor for where I'm going. Like you have, you know, like maybe the roles are just slightly different moving forward. Like I could see a role where you have someone who's got insane menu knowledge who goes around and talks at a table and teaches people how to use the app to order their food, but and and helps them talk and just answers questions, but maybe they're not a waiter, right? Because food runners are delivering all the food. I don't know. There's just different ways to look at some of this stuff. But anyways, let's move on to the next question here. Sure. Um, what is one thing you thought the industry would be doing right now that it isn't?
1: Uh, um,
0: well, I, you know,
1: I'd, I'd say this is, I think that, in, and I'm careful to say this, because again, we're an opinionated business, but um, I, I think a lot of times we are in the thought to be in the quick fix business um and by no means am i and by no means am i saying that um uh, i am anti um ghost kitchen and things of that nature sure um, but I, I do believe that successful business businesses stay focused on their strengths they're very aware of their, of their opportunities and they work through that process and you know, there's many industries out there or many businesses out there that have sort of added, you know, you know, either a ghost kitchen approach or, or added, you know, kind of a ghost concept within their current business. So maybe they're, you know, running their concept out of their kitchen and then they've added a couple of pieces of equipment and now they're going to run something completely different, uh, that's completely to go based out of that same kitchen. Now, I understand it from a financial perspective, I understand the gains, I understand the needs, yeah. I understand all those things in that aspect. Um, I do question whether that is a long-term strategy, how that does affect what your core competency is. I think every business is a little bit different, so I'm, I'm only speaking sort of for the casual dining sector. And so I am, I am sort of um, interested that people are out there And they're doing that as opposed to really dissecting their business, really thinking about how the, how the um, consumer is wanting to interact with your business and strictly looking at things on an immediate financial level. Now, obviously, you know, a a CEO of a company is talking like that. You're probably like, Hmm, what? But I do think longevity, I've always had a strategy of longevity, right? um I, you know what let, let's make it last let's make it um you know something that people can can um count on and let's work through the process to be consistent that's served me well as a leader that served me well in my career growth um and so i i look at that from a business perspective so you know as as every time you open the restaurant news or something somebody's adding a you know Uh, uh, this, this concept inside their, in their business, or they're, they're doing this or that. Hey, I get it in the immediate now. And I think there's probably room for that for the foreseeable future, maybe even forever at some level. But I question if you got to a place with a core business model that, that how do you, how do you, to your point, adjust that model and still, Um, continue to be successful because I think consistency is going to, going to weigh out more than anything, more than ever right now, consistency and being able to be somebody people can count on for value, you know, quality, all those metrics that I think people desire is, is outweighs what are any immediate um, uh, financial, um, you know, advancement there is. And so that's just sort of something for me. I, i I think more reflective I guess in that aspect than I would being out there trying to you know maybe pound a couple of uh concepts inside the Hickory tavern um, that's just that just just me i think I think I'll be better served and you know I'll just give a shout out to a a, a concept that maybe not all our listeners know but um, and I mean, many of them do is Houston's um, and that's the one place that I will say no matter anytime you walk into Houston's anywhere in the United States under whatever umbrella their name is you know because they're not all under obviously in the same name yeah. you always can count on it man you can always count on great service great food you pay for it you're going to pay for that sure. glass of wine and you're going to pay for that salmon appetizer probably three, $4, five dollars more than any other place but I tell you they're dynamite they they got it and you, you know what you're going to get out of it and I think you know they've got high AUVs and they're successful. And I think there's something to be learned from leaders that, um, have been successful in generation after generation doing something just exceptional.
0: Well, you said a lot of things there that I, I, I want to like touch on. First of all, consistency, like if you guys like, what is a brand, right? A brand is consistent execution across all locations. Like that is probably one of the, or because every brand's different, McDonald's is brand's different than Houston's brand. But the one thing, and you touched on it, is consistency, right? It's that saying that I can get the same Big Mac anywhere in the world at any time of day, or at Houston's I can get the same rotisserie chicken, uh, you know, entree anywhere I go. Um, but it, it, whatever your business is, you you set what your business promises, right? Like you guys. We're going to have a surfboard. We're going to have good food. We're going to have great sports. We're going to be a place to be. But consistency is the brand. It's that delivery over, I think, your 20 plus locations that you go, Okay, that's that's really what it is. Uh, And so um, absolutely 100 percent managing consistent execution at all your locations is the most important thing to driving a brand forward and, and incrementally growing your business, right? That's probably one yep. of the number one things that people don't get. Um, and, and also well, if I they mean, don't manage it very well sometimes. not everybody Well, does. I mean, I think,
1: I think, I think, I think everybody understands the importance of it, but you know, life and business and stress of yeah. the business gets in the way. And sometimes you have to kind of go back to your core values of, of what got you there, what you, what you believe in, what you you're, your, mm-hmm your key strengths are and be able to just reevaluate your business. And um, I yep. think COVID's done some wonderful things for our industry. As tough as it's been on there, you know, everybody, I think it's done wonderful for a lot of us that have sort of reflected back to, um, Hey, let's just focus, you know, quote unquote uh, on the basics. And let's figure out how all the other things we can intersperse creatively in our business. Uh, that doesn't take away from that 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 core competency.
0: Well, and by the, I latch onto the word consistency too, just because that's what my that's what my my program Ops Analytica does. Like that's my day job, right? Uh, and yep. that's what we do is we help manage consistent execution across all your locations and, and and provide you with data and all that stuff. So that when you and I'm a business process guy, like I'm restaurant guy, but in the tech world, I went into business process. And then I have this, this company here. So I really latch onto that model because that's really, well, everybody's trying to execute across all these locations and it's not just restaurants, it's dental offices and it's, you know, jiffy lubes and, you know, it's everything. The other thing that I, I think is interesting that you brought up is this whole ghost coaching concept, because one of our biggest clients, they, they started running a couple of online only concepts out of their restaurants mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. and uh, it's and what they found is that it's bringing new customers to their to them uh, because they don't even know they're coming to them right they, they might not have ever gone to their core restaurant but they're buying these online brands right um, and it's obviously incrementally growing sales so they've been very happy with it but it raised an interesting philosophical question for me the way you said it which is, Like, and also they weren't well positioned for COVID. Let me put that out there too. Like they don't, they're not a big patio restaurant. They're a diner chain. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So like they weren't well, like they don't have patios. They don't have big garage doors that open up and all this outdoor seating. So they were literally putting tents in parking lots, just trying to get some seats out there in some of these areas and and whatnot. So, but it, it raises a question. Which is, and also, I don't think there's a right answer to this, by the way. Uh, I I agree. I think each restaurant chain will figure it out for themselves. But do you spend your time developing alternative, uh, let's say, I'm going to say channels and menus uh, that are you just, are you, or do you fix your core chain to make it more popular? Because if you're, if you're an hour and a half wait, like if I worked at Chang's back in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, when Chang's was the hottest concept, I mean, in Tyson's Corner, Virginia, when I was managing that restaurant, we'd have a 90 minute wait on a Monday night, right? Like if you have a 90 minute wait on a Monday night, you're not ghost kitchening Chinese food out the back door. You don't have the time. Yep. You're because you you're making so, you're generating so much revenue from your core business. Now, if you're a yep. slower concept, Right where you've got bandwidth, this is a this is a, a golden lasso of of help, you know. Because I've got these buildings that are like forty percent full, but if I can start cranking throughput through the kitchen, I can keep the business going. Right? Like yeah, yeah, no, so I yeah. Do, no doubt yeah. about it. I
1: think at, yeah. yeah. I think it is. Di- I think it is different for every business. For for absolutely sure, I think it's it's different for every business. Um, for our particular business in the social gathering place, I'll refer yeah. to back to the same thing. You cannot yeah. put uh, excitement in a to-go box, even though yeah. you know twenty twenty-four percent of our business right now is to-go. Pretty strong, sure. pretty strong. And we and we and we've continued to keep that percentage. Tw- I, I apologize, twenty-two percent. I should know my numbers better. Twenty-two um, <laughs> <laughs> <Come on, Bob>. percent. <laughs> but 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 it's but it's 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 grown relative to the in in. Uh, internal growth so we haven't seen a lot of drop-off as we as consumers have come back to us in the dining space and so we've gained we've gained market share you know in this theory we've gained market share of maybe 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 somebody who has never used us before I you know you could it what what side of the coin is right it's it's the, the side that's that's best for your business and so yeah. just for me for our business for who what I think we we're about um it's interesting to me, but i don't it, yeah. it to me it's not the long term brand equity that we're we're trying to build and sure. you know that that may work for some folks and and that's outstanding and um uh, and there's been some successful ones and so um you know um, uh, that's that's it's all about it's all about what's good for your business and and uh for for us You know, we, we, we believe that, you know, we're going to keep our tentacles out to to drive business of our concept, wherever the guest wants to deliver, deliver it. But ultimately every day, what we hope is they're going to come back in and high five us in the store and, and be there for a game or be there, you know, and have the type of gathering place that, um, that we like. And we're not all, we talked about sports this morning, but we're really not biggest sports is is i think um it's just that's probably the most exciting time right when that just everybody sure. focuses on the same thing but you know we do a lot uh we the tavern does a lot of large parties we do a lot of you know business meetings in a private space yeah. we do a lot of you know the kids lacrosse team comes in and t- tournaments or you know bu- you know business business first dates for young couples families you know yeah. we have a host a myriad of myriad of of demo that comes into our brand and it's um, I think that reflects in how they're treated when they come into our brand.
0: Sure. Yeah. And, and you said it right. It's just, it's you have to look at this from the perspective of what are you, what are you doing? What do you have? Right. Because, and that's why I think it's such an interesting concept. And we probably talk about it for two more hours, but we don't have that kind of time, but like, I'm really curious, like, do you focus on your, like, if your core business isn't driving, um, isn't driving the volume that you want that, you know, yeah, go start ghost catching out, put some new concepts out there. It's a great way to drive some volume, get some sales in there. Sales cure everything. You could do a lot better things. Mm-hmm. Like more Money's rolling into the building, you know, I sure. mean, it, you know, and also let's be honest, like not everybody's concept is as hot as everybody else's. And, uh, absolutely. And so, you know, you're just kind of like, Hey man, like we're sort of on that waning part of the world, or we're going to be at the sort of steady level so we have to do things to punch this up, but you know, or can you reinvent yourself? And then, and then the whole other thing is, if you're a giant franchise system, well, you can reinvent yourself all you want, but if your franchisees don't either buy into it, be or are going to like spend the money to do it, you know? Like I remember when I worked at Quiznos corporate, we like revamped all the restaurants, and all, and so many of those guys were really hurting financially, and then you know, and somebody's the same way you know, these guys were hurting financially and they come out and they go, Hey, we want you to redesign the restaurants, put 40,000 into it. And then they're like, no, you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. So I mean, there's just so many, there's so many different levers, right. That you're, you're constantly as a CEO trying to pull to kind of get yourself where you need to be. Um, And, uh, and, you know, it's just, you got to make the best decision that you can make for the time that you're in and the situation and obviously, COVID.
1: yeah, and the brand is the brand. Yeah, absolutely. The brand you run the time you're in and um, they're yeah. all,
0: all a little bit different,
1: um, yeah. you know, but um, that's, 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 that's the duty of the responsibility of that leader. And so, yeah, I never, exactly. never question necessarily uh, people's decisions. Um, you know, I think every leader s- sort of has a, at some level, um, you know, fairly strong opinion about what, is good. But a lot of times it's through that lens of what's sitting in front of them.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. We're we're all doing the best we can.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that's right.
0: Okay. Paul, we're here to the last question. Uh, Give us a war story. Yeah. Something funny, cringeworthy. One of those things you can't believe you got through. Holy hell. How did that happen? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If you got, yeah, sure. Um, I, you know, I, you know, I, I looked at this question, I thought to myself, I, I must be a relief pitcher because in my, my former life, because, you know, a lot of times you do learn from bad experiences, but you try to take it and move on from it. And i was trying to think what is one of the worst ones that I, I you know, I've probably had a few, I've um, probably had a, a few where, you know, I've made a real, um, you know, what out of yourself by something that happened <laughs> within the or, uh, operation. But I do remember a learning experience that was, was sort of a little bit horrific. Um and so I was with a brand um that's I was telling you was based out of Detroit, um C Mirror Corporation. I had um been um started the position in a South Florida in a in a small town called Jupiter, Florida. And uh Jupiter's known from, you know, Tiger Woods has a house there. Burt Reynolds, you know, had a house there. So fairly in the nineties, early nineties, fairly quiet little town that would sort of blow up for vacationers and kind of downsize back again for the summertime. And we had this beautiful, um, restaurant, high-end seafood restaurant, patio outside, right on the intercoastal and, you know, sort of, sort of painter here. And, uh, I was the assistant general manager there. Um, and you'd see dolphin even come, you know, kind of cruising through beautiful yachts and flip-flops and, you know, Run down to the beach and grab my uh, about four thirty on a Friday night and wave in my uh, um, server assistants to get in, get dressed, and come out and let's get to work. You know, I mean, it was just a different world, and I got an opportunity to be promoted. But part of my promotion was I, I needed to move to uh, Michigan, and um, I moved to Michigan in October. And so, young young manager, first time general manager inexperienced um in the whole piece of it my training was fairly limited i was i I tell this story sort of as a joke but literally it was you know learning how to be a general manager was two two hours sitting in front of the on a coffee table with my my current general manager at the time with it with a yellow legal pad of the do's and don'ts right and that was i was eager and i was off and i was going to conquer the world and uh and and so i ended up in um uh a concept um and uh as a general manager um with a general manager had left been long time general manager you know very talented and sort of took over a restaurant that was first of all in a much different type environment had much different guest base had much different team members um and learned very quickly that being a good listener should have been the first thing I did. But it was one of those young kind of um, foolish things. I think a lot of us as eager leaders do come in and we have all the answers and we have all the things. And so walked into a operation that um, had been pretty successful, Um, had had a few opportunities, um, one of which kind of sounds crazy. But um, it was a, a, a building that had a basement and the offices were in the basement. Um, and when it flooded, uh, excuse me, when it rained, the basement would flood. And, uh, there were some, some, some opportunities that I won't go into a lot of detail with, but let's just put it, say it it wasn't the safest place uh, to be. And so I think some of the team members knew that. And so they would like to hold that over my head with the health department. And, but, you know, I made, (laughs) I, I, I made probably a lot of enemies right at the beginning because I was quote doing the right thing because that had worked, you know, elsewhere, and I didn't learn the people and I didn't learn to build relationships and I didn't learn any of that aspect that was important. And, uh, you know, I had some fairly strong people. One of my assistant uh, managers was uh, president Ford's niece. Oh, wow. And so, um, she was an AGM. And so <laughs> she was, uh, and very experienced, much more experienced than I was. And instead of embracing and learning from our, my people, it was more of a very directive demanding, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to conquer the world together and, and sort of, you know, in that, you know, that moment where you're scurrying around being the leader and you turn around and none of the teams with you, you're sort of charging them out (laughs) in the law alone. (laughs) That was, that was it. And so it was a very humble moment for me. Uh, A lot of soul searching about, um, was I going to be successful in this industry at a very young age? Um, And um, you know, I was the vice president at the age of 29 with when I was with Landry's. And so I, I moved up through the ranks fairly quickly and just in general in my, my business um, time. And I was a very uh, inexperienced manager that had become a general manager. In my mind, I'd I'd only been managing for three or four years and I don't think, you know, I don't think it was a probably um, my most shining moment. And it was probably the lowest period of time I think I had where I was like, am I going to be able to be successful? And it took a, a lot of soul searching and learning and, and just developing, but man, um, it was, uh, it was a humbling moment. And I think a lot of people can relate to that type of moment. And I always say to people that are interested in my career, they say, well, how do you become successful? And I, I tell them life is like a surfboard being on a surfboard. You're riding a wave and you, a whole bunch of all you and your buddies are on the wave, riding that wave and you can see the you can see the beach you know but you just keep riding and you're, you're moving you're physically you're concentrating and it gets tough your legs get tired your back gets sore your shoulders you know you're you're just trying to keep your balance and people start to fall off and you just keep working and working through the process and trying to learn from that last episode and before you know it you turn around you're like the last last guy on the surfboard and you're sort of surfing you know you're kind of getting in the shore and you're wondering, how did I get there? And I think life and business is very much like that. It's, it's learning and it's still, um, having the tenacity to, 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 to self-evaluate, but grow, you know? And I think that was a humbling moment for me because it was, there was a lot of embarrassment my side. I, I, I was failing, failing miserably. Uh And, um, yeah. And I think that's just one of the things I wanted to share with people that, you know people don't come in through this industry and all of a sudden because they get to the top they were just they they just either a were given it or b it was an easy road there's a there's a lot of bumps through our our industry and our process and any business and relationships and things of that nature but uh, it's the the people that have that be able to ability to sort of laugh at it a little bit share the moment with it accept it um, and learn from it that i think is uh, a critical but Um, In that moment, boy, it was it was embarrassing, you know, because I was failing. And I think a lot of people that are colleagues of mine that were general managers at the time, very successful, probably 10, 15 years older than me um, in my core group in that area knew I was failing. And so it was a pivotal moment that um, I I just thought I'd share. And, um, you know, people people hopefully can can um, can relate to it and maybe maybe help somebody along the way.
0: Well, I had the exact same thing. I had a hotel restaurant degree. I was assistant manager of this country club in Northern Virginia. And I walked into this whole HR brouhaha of sort of the old guard and the new guard kind of getting into a big mm-hmm. battle. Sure. And I didn't even know yeah. about it. Like, I just walked in one day <laughs> and didn't realize that, like, yeah. this lady had been there for 20 years and this new young GM and all this stuff. And, and I did the same exact thing. Like, you think you like, yeah, you go in and you go, well, I'm a brand new, I just got my degree and I'm, I'm so smart. Right, right. And then you yeah. realize you don't know anything. Like, you, you know theory, mm-hmm. but you don't know how, well, you don't know where the plates yep. are, right? You don't know where those are. Like, yep, that's these right. people here know yep. where the plates are. So, like, yep. yeah. And, and so it took me about a month of getting my booty kicked, too, till finally I just decided I just got to work harder. Like I will just lead by example. And I, we have to set up a party room. I'm going to be in there moving tables. You know, I'm just going to do that thing. And that's how I kind of worked my way out of it. But you know, it's really interesting too, because you mentioned your AGM, you know, the, 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 second lieutenants in the army who really struggle are the ones that go in there and think they're Eisenhower and they don't rely mm-hmm. on their non-coms, right? But you get yep. a really good first sergeant or a really good platoon sergeant or master sergeant, and those guys can take and 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 you go grab that guy on day one. So this would be my advice to people: you go into a new restaurant, you're brand new, you need to go in and and instead of like you need to be a servant leader. Like you had talked about earlier, we have to have that servant Mm -hmm. personality. You have to be a servant leader. You need to sit down with the team. And instead of coming in and rolling out all your proclamations right away, we're doing this, 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 and this, and this is what you guys suck at. You need to like go to each manager, sit down there, go explain to me your job, explain to me what we're working here, what are our strengths, what are our weaknesses? You You need to lean on everybody who's got the actual practical experience in the building. Then, Listen to them, work with them, see how they work. Don't make any proclamations in your first month. Just let the place run. And then, after a month of like observing, then you can go, okay, here's what I want to go fix. Because, and, and I know this from being a corporate too, so often you don't recognize how important a GM is at a store. And so you have oh, yeah. to destroy that's It's just been crushing. And you and you that's a culture it, keeper. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> you attribute it culture to culture keeper the location, either positive or
1: negative. Yep.
0: Yeah. You attribute it to the location, you attribute it to marketing, you attribute it, ah, it's just a good strip center and you, and you don't attribute it to the manager and the team they built. And then that manager leaves for whatever reason, maybe you promote them, maybe they go to another concept, doesn't matter. And you have an AGM that goes in there and that guy's freaking out. And uh, and then he basically run, he can take that store and tank it in a month and you'll watch the sales be like skyrocketing best store to nothing because yep. they don't know how to, uh, it, then you realize, Oh shoot, it was the GM. It wasn't the location. This guy had just built a great team because the AGM pisses everyone off and they all quit. Right. And I mean, that is such a common occurrence. You can see it in the numbers when you're sitting at corporate. It's nuts. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, absolutely. So Paul I had a great time on the yep. call today. I really hey, likewise. The podcast. really Do you want to plug anything?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, if anybody's ever in the North Carolina, South Carolina
0: uh, area,
1: majority of our stores are there. We also have one in uh, Memphis and um, one in Birmingham. Uh, It's called the Hickory Tavern. So it's Uh, www.thehickorytavern.com. Of course, you know, we um, we do all the things that uh, everybody does, you know, as far as, uh, you know, curbside, things of that nature. We're great for for catering and. you know, we love to, we love to entertain and, uh, we are growing, you know, we're looking for sites out throughout the, the Southeast and, uh, you know, just, uh, um, obviously like everybody making sure that our teams are strong and, and ready to grow. But, um, we're, we're, we're excited about just kind of getting back to a little bit of a normal and seeing people smile and come in coming come in the stores. So, um, if they're, you know, if our, our listeners are in the area, um, you know, please, uh, please give us a try.
0: Well, thank you, Paul, for coming on. I will have the link to the Hickory Tavern website in the show notes, guys. Thank you so much for being great listeners, and we will talk soon. Take care, Paul.
1: Thank you.